0: Who else could rescue me from my failure? Who else could offer His only Son? Who else invites me to call Him Father? Only a holy God. Only my holy God. Come and behold Him, the One and the Only. Cry out, sing holy, forever our holy God. Come and worship our holy God. Come and behold Him, the One only,
1: cry out,
0: sing only, forever our holy God, come and worship our holy God, mm, yeah, tag. yeah, mm. worship our holy
2: God, come
0: and worship our holy
2: God, oh yeah, so it just goes that, yeah, yeah, let's do the tag, I like a tag on this. This is a nice song actually. I quite like this. I just it's don't... easy to sing. It's easy to sing. And, to sing. and that's, that's what I like. I remember when Kylie first shared City of Light with me mm. and I read their mission statement and it was like we write songs As that in. everyone can sing almost instantly. And It's like bam. Bit you can
1: um,
2: you okay? oh, uh, yeah, it's cool. I think it's great. Um, holy, holy God. I'm just trying to think if there's a harmony there, but it might be a bit hard for me to sing given I don't know, I don't know the song that well. so I, might just
1: I feel like coming in strong and comfort, like the three, fours already enough to, like, to keep d- us on our Yeah, top. exactly. Yep, all correct. On
2: it. All right. Oh, why would there be piano, piano music? Who is this? Why would someone go, <laughs> What is going on? Didn't see, apparently. So let's see how this is. I haven't sung this in ages. There was a music stand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is what key it's written in. I don't, I don't know if there's any good. Whoa, nope. Battle out of that. That was very high.
0: I spoke a word, you were singing over me How's that for you? You have been so, so good to me
2: It's one of those funny songs, it's got a big jump, so yeah, I know.
1: What a good place to start, just being reminded of who God is, how good he is, being reminded that we are loved, um, and yeah, that we come before him just known and loved by him. Um, this morning, our service might look a little bit different to what I had originally anticipated. Um, Swan is actually not well. He has woken up quite un- unwell and he was the one meant to be giving the sermon. <laughs> um, so things will look a little bit different. You are all stuck with me um, instead. So uh, please bear with me because it will be his words um, that he wrote. But God is good and His Spirit is at work through His Word. Um, and so we will carry on with um, the way God has planned it, though it may not be our way. And I'm pretty sure that's the theme of Exodus. <laughs> the people thought they was plans, and God was like, no, no, I've got different plans. Um, and we know that His plans are good and can be trusted, and so we'll go with that today as well. Um, if you are part of the high schooler group, you may exit out now. Diana is somewhere with you, I think. Yes? She must be out there. She's here. She's just out there. All right. So, girls, if you want to go on out. Yep. You can go. And there you go. Um, awesome. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 16. Um, that is where we find ourselves uh, today. Swan was deeply sad. To not uh, be here, obviously, because he misses being with his church community, but also because this is the last um, part of the Exodus series um, that we are looking at today before we move on to a new um, series, which I'll tell you about later. Um, and I know how much he really wanted to speak on Exodus, um, all of it, but particularly um, closing it off and ending it off. Um, so, We'll go with what is here, but we are picking up right at Exodus chapter 16. Um, either follow along up there or in your own Bibles. Um, so we've come through the Red Sea uh, with the miraculous kind of rescue, and now we find ourselves with the Israelites um, in the desert, wandering around, and you will hear what they have today to say. So come with me. Chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow in my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelites community, they looked toward the desert And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost appeared on the ground, ground, appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take one omer for each person you have in your tent." The Israelites did as they were told, some gathered much, some, ge- some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it till morning. However, Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gave you bread for two days." Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Well, it's an interesting passage. You might have picked up a little bit of a theme. I don't know how many times we heard the word grumbling just in 30 verses, right? It's a bit of a comical passage even um, and actually, I know that Swan found a meme uh, online. Uh, I don't know if you can relate to this. I'm a mum. I can definitely relate to this. I feel like the Israelite people are captured here as like the kids. I'm bored. He keeps stepping on my ankle. Are we there yet? we there yet? Are we there yet? Someone's looking at me like, oh, my goodness. And Moses is like, I will turn this exodus around if I have to. Anyone? Is this just me? <laughs> And I feel for Moses in that moment. I'm like, yeah, I would would be very similar. (laughs) I'm going to turn it around. I don't care who started it. I'm finishing it. (laughs) And it kind of captures a little bit of the comical nature that as you read through these verses, you can't help but have a little bit of a giggle because it's really quite almost comically hilarious how much they just grumble. And, and it's quite funny because if you look at the passage just before it um, and just after it, it just adds to the picture. Like it, it's, it's not like it's just this passage. In 15 uh, verses 22 to 27, Israel grumble because the water is bitter. Okay, we're in the desert. They got water, but no, the water's bitter, right? Then in 17 verses 1 to 7, they grumble because they don't have any water. Yeah, they're a hard one to please. Um, so from chapter 15 verse 22 to chapter 17 verse 7, so not very long, uh, the Israelites complain three times. Each time they despair they're gonna die. Each time they look back at how much life was better in Egypt. They disobey God twice. First they collect more than they need for the day. Then they go out on the Sabbath when they were told not to um, And they go and collect, they go and try and collect things, but there's nothing there because God told them not to. And so when you get to passages that then talk about, you know, Israel being a stiff-necked people, or that would be a stubborn people, um, you kind of get it, don't you? You kind of get it when you read passages like this. You're like, yeah, they are. They're kind of stubborn and a little bit clueless. But I find this particular passage is particularly hard because it comes immediately after the Red Sea incident. So in chapter 14, we're literally two chapters ago, in chapter 14, God does this amazing, mighty rescue. He literally makes water move to become walls of water so the Israelites Israelites go through, not on slightly soggy ground, dry ground as he takes them through the Red Sea right? And he frees his people from Pharaoh, even that in itself in chapters earlier is this amazing mighty rescue where he brings them out of slavery um, and gives them the freedom that they have cried out to him for. Then in chapter 15 there's this beautiful song that Moses' sister Miriam sings because she praises God. She praises him for his power, his goodness, his love, because they've just seen his mighty hand at work in saving them from the Egyptians. And then chapter 14, 15 sorry, ends with the Israelites walking through the desert for three days until they find somewhere with water. But because that water, as I said, is bitter, they grumble and God tells Moses, okay, well, throw a stick at it and then he does and then the water's drinkable, Right? And then we get to chapter 16, verse 1. And it tells us that it's the 15th day of the second month. Now, you might be like, I I don't care. Dates are not important to me. But here's why it's important. Because we know that from earlier in Exodus, that their calendar begins when they set aside the lamb that was to be killed about a week later at the Passover. So, when we read verse 3, we can make a reasonable guess that has been all of about a month... Since Passover and the Red Sea parting for them. A month. Did we not hear all the grumbling? <laughs> right? So when the Israelites in verse 3 say, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt there, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. A month ago we saved them from freedom parted the Red Sea, and now they're grumbling about pots of meat. It's hilarious. It's crazy. I mean, they were slaves in Egypt. Talk about the water being bitter. Their lives were bitter, right? With all the labour that they were forced to do for Pharaoh, do we not remember in that very first week when we looked at Exodus 1 how many times the idea of bitter and harsh kept coming up? It was seven times alone in chapter 1. Seven times. That's before you even get to the, the whole firstborn uh, children being slaughtered. Life was rough. Oh, but we had pots of meat and, and we ate all the food that we wanted. They've been brought out of slavery, literally walked through the Red Sea. And God is leading them out of Egypt. And he's not even just leading them to nowhere. He's actually leading them towards the land of Canaan, which becomes known as the promised land, a land that God describes as flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it's a land that is good. It's abundant. It's a land that's good for farming. It's a land that's good for growing. And I kind of get it because we used to live in a land very similar um, when we lived in a place called Jeringon. And, and Gong is a beautiful place. You'll see a gorgeous picture of it. You'll see it's very green. It's uh, cow country, uh, dairy country. It's extremely pretty. So this is like the view that as you come down the hill, you'll just see all these green rolling hills that literally roll down to meet the sand, which then flows out into this gorgeous blue ocean. It's very, very gorgeous. Um, And so this is the sort of place that I think of, not that Djeringong is the promised land, but I think of a place that's green, that's lush, that's abundant. And so in some ways I have this still in my mind when I think about it. Um, Yeah, but when you read ahead and they arrive at this land in the book of Numbers, it's actually, it's even more amazing than anything we could picture. Um, They send some spies into the land to kind of find out a little bit about this promised land, just to see if it's as good as they say. And in Numbers 13, it tells us that they cut a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes, and it had to be carried by two men. Now, I don't think that's because the men were weak. I think that's because the grapes and the abundance of them was so much. So was the abundance and the amazingness of this land. It was good, and God had promised it to the Israelites. But it was taking a while to get there. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And it was hot and they're hungry and they're thirsty. As you read through Exodus and Numbers, there are 14 times recorded that the Israelites grumble about things to Moses. Three times because they're thirsty and once because they're hungry. They want better variety of food. Anyone? Anyone? Hear that? Nine times because they're either dissatisfied with Moses' leadership or they just don't like the outcome of God's leadership through Moses. They moan and they grumble and they complain a lot. I feel like I made that point. But it can be easy to sit back and point the finger at them and be like, gosh, they whinge a lot. How could they do that? I mean, they've literally just seen the hand of God rescue them how could they already give in to such doubt and grumbling? But I think it only takes a few moments. Well, it does for me, if you're anything like me, to reflect on our lives and we realise we tend to do exactly the same kind of thing. And that's been a bit of our theme as we've looked through Exodus. Yes, we are looking at the people of God and God's rescuing them, but we also see ourselves... In the story. We see um, how Exodus mirrors our story. And so let me just kind of recap a little bit on that. We see that Israel, like Israel, that we are also slaves. We are slaves to sin. We have this sinful nature that leads us to ignore and reject and grumble against our Creator. And just like the Israelites who could not rescue themselves out of slavery, neither can we rescue ourselves from this slavery. We need God to step in and bring us freedom, which he does. I mean, he doesn't send plagues. He doesn't make us walk through the Red Sea. But he does send his one and only son, who takes the judgment that we deserve upon himself and who becomes our Passover lamb, the one who sacrificed his blood so that ours could be spared. He dies in our place and he offers that same miraculous rescue from death to life. And through this rescue, he extends us an offer, just like he did to the people wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people. The offer is that because of this salvation, because of what he has done for us, He offers us a restored relationship with him. And he gives us the choice. Do you want me to be your God? Do you want to be one of my people? We remember hearing about that last week when he gives them the offer. He says, do you want to be my people? Do you want me to be your God? And if this is something that we accept, then he gives us instructions to demonstrate that we are his just as he gave them the Israelites' Ten Commandments to show that they were his people. And he then promises us an eternal home, a place that is free of suffering and pain, that's full of abundance and blessing and his presence, a place where we get to be with him daily you can see really easily why there's just this beautiful mirroring between the story of Exodus and the Gospel. But unfortunately, I think all too easily we can see ourselves to be like the Israelites and we lose focus on what God has done for us and we lose focus on where we are heading because we become focused on the circumstances that are at the moment the circumstances that we find ourselves in today and far too easily I know I can start to grumble and complain you know this being Christian thing it's kind of hard you mean God doesn't want me to do that thing that I really want to do well that's not fair I mean all my other friends they're not Christians they get to do whatever they want You mean God wants me to be generous with everything he's given me? Doesn't he know the cost of living's gone up? Does he not know the interest rates are going ridiculous? I remember before I was part of a church, I got to spend my money on anything I wanted to. It's not hard to look in our lives and see the different areas where we struggle to remember that God is Lord of all. And just like the, te- the Israelites, sometimes we have a tendency to look back on the past and we see perhaps only the positives. Someone did some research during the week and in fact uh, scientists have given this uh, tendency to look back with a, a positive view, a name. They call it the rosy retrospection. I guess that's like the whole we look through rose-coloured glasses. Rosy retrospection refers to our tendency to recall the past more fondly than the present. You see, we too forget that we were slaves to sin. We too forget that we were lost, alone, hopeless and dead. Dead in our sins, separated from God. But that through Jesus, he rescued us, offers forgiveness, mercy, grace, comfort, peace, hope, love. Yet, when we look back, sometimes all we see is the good things that we're missing out on. And I tell you what, I'm not mean to this either. If I'm honest, I still miss my life in Derringong sometimes. That house that we just spent all our last 18 months doing... some renovations and fixing it up and everyone was like, wow, you've got it just the way you want it to be. And we'd just finished those things that we'd planned to do and God was like, yeah, good job. It's time to go. And we were like, are you serious? (laughs) Like now? (laughs) But as nice as our home was in Jerangong, we had become increasingly convinced that God had something new in store for our family. And again, I have often looked at the Exodus journey for encouragement during this time. For 40 years, God guides and leads his people as they wander through the wilderness. The pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. And I do remember that someone once pointed out that the Israelites... like the Israelites, we shouldn't move unless God is actually going ahead of us because it's better to be where God wants us to be than to be outside of his plans for us. But it can be tough. Sometimes we can still struggle with that rosy retrospect. Sometimes we still grumble and complain just like the Israelites. And so I just want to kind of bring this to a close with three kind of practical tips to help us when we are struggling. First of all, look back. Look back at God's work in your life. Be reminded of God's amazing salvation in Jesus and remember that he died for you. In fact, I think that's one of the most beautiful things that, as we come and we do communion, and we do it regularly here, that that is a time to pause, stop, look back, and go, "That's right." When I accepted Jesus' offer of forgiveness, that I remember He died for me, that He loves you, and that He wants to bring you freedom, forgiveness, and life, and. I mean, for me personally, sometimes it's hard to look back and take that time to pause and reflect. For me, I I like to do that through music particularly. Um, So sometimes putting on some worship music can help you focus and remind you of what Jesus has done. And that, I think, is also part of the reason why we sing at church. It helps us to stop and remember all, all that God has given us. So look back look back. The second one, look forward. Be reminded of our future destination. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is speaking to this church in Corinth who are facing persecution for their faith and he says to them, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day and day. By day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that is not the verse I would quote to someone when they're in the midst of Troubles, it's not to underestimate at all that the things that we go through are hard. They are. They are definitely hard. But this is not the end of the story. And this life is but just a fraction of all that God has in store for us in eternal life. And sometimes to focus on looking forward, can help us get through the hard of here and now. Our promised land is heaven. We aren't there yet. Church can be great, but it's still not heaven. This life can be beautiful, but it's still not heaven. And so I find that that is a big reason why I would, I would encourage us to keep coming to church because as we go through those hard things, we can be reminding each other, this is hard. I'm here with you. I walk alongside you. And we keep walking towards our eternal home. And number three, when we're tempted to grumble and complain, remember that it is best to be where God wants you to be. Be led by him. Be guided by him. It is better to be where God wants us than to keep charging ahead with our own plans. And personally, the only way that I know how to know where God wants me, the only way that I can be sure that I am moving in his will is to remain close to him, to be seeking him, to be reading his word, to be listening to him in prayer, to be in that constant dialogue with him. Because when we seek to do these things, then we know where God is moving. This isn't on here, but I'm just going to add it anyways. Um, in fact, that's one of the things that moving from New South Wales to South Australia without any kind of we ha- we have a little bit of family here on Swan Side, but all my family's in New South Wales. And people are like, "How are you going?" And we're like, "Yeah, good. Like our church community is beautiful, but there has been like things that were tricky. Finding a house was tricky. Um, there's been bumps." It's not been smooth. Um, And in all of our friends' minds, particularly those that didn't know Jesus and even those that did, they were like, why are you moving to South Australia? (laughs) Like, that makes no sense. And why are you leaving your home? And why would you move your kids? And what about your family? It makes no sense, right? And the one thing that we kept coming back to, the one thing that we kept saying and we still say, even when God upends our plans like this morning, (laughs) is that we know that this is where God has led us. And if we didn't have that, I agree, none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense, not rationally, not logically. But God has led us here. And we know that 100%. And we're so thankful and we know you guys were praying as well. And so I know that you also are like, you know what? This one's may or may not have been what you were imagining either. But I hope you know that God's led us here. And I am looking forward to all the amazing things that we get to do together. So friends, I hope that as we've spent this time in Exodus, that you've had an opportunity perhaps to see the gospel in a fresh way. You can grow in that appreciation and awe that what God did for the Israelites community, he has also done for us. The gospel is good news of Jesus rescuing us out of the slavery of sin, bringing us from death to life, calling us to be his people, giving us instructions of how we can do this as we journey towards our promised home with our God forever. Why don't we pray and thank him for that? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you because you are a God of rescue. We thank you for the book of Exodus, Lord. We thank you that we can see that you are a strong and powerful God who rescues his people as they cry out to you. We thank you that we see your love and your mercy and your compassion as you provide for their every need. We thank you, Lord, that despite the grumbling and the complaining that you still love your people and you still lead them towards the promised land. Lord, we thank you that you also, through your son Jesus, have extended the same offer of rescue out of the slavery to sin so that we can say yes to life, so that we can say yes to a relationship with you. We thank you that you continue to pour love, And forgiveness and mercy on all that come to you, Father. We thank you that you are leading us to our promised land, that you are leading us to a home that will never spoil, that will never end, that is full of goodness and blessing and abundance. And we thank you that you have given us each other for the journey as we go. And we thank you that you have given us your spirit to guide us so we know how to live the best way all on earth. And we pray that as we go out into our community this week and beyond, that people would see that we belong to you, that the actions and the words that we um, show and display, Father, that they would show that we are your people, that people would be drawn to you because of hearing about the love that you have for us. And we pray, Lord, that as we are recipients of your grace and love and peace and hope and forgiveness, that you in turn would help us to extend that same love, grace, peace and forgiveness to others. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.